Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Anglican Unscripted. This is episode 681. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today's August 17th, 2021. All right, welcome to another program, and I'm, I'm here to help you out. If you don't know your role as a viewer, it's to like the program, to subscribe to the program, comment to the program, share the program, and I can't think of any... Oh, if you want to listen to the podcast, do the podcast to the program. It's real simple to be a listener and viewer of Anglican Unscripted, um, and we appreciate you helping us out because Facebook and YouTube, they don't know if we're good or not. The only way they know for a good program is if you liked it, Okay. It's your job. George, how's your week going? It's actually been pretty great from a uh-huh. church perspective. Um, our church, even though we're suffering short-term from COVID, has been doing pretty well these past few years. And we've wanted to get a new organ for a long, long time because the old one sort of wheezes and whatnot. And it, we were costed out to about thirty, forty thousand. 40,000. Well, I really didn't want to start an organ campaign in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> So we started it off just oh, last week, and I'm already halfway there. Oh, really? Not That's just amazing. with pledges, but uh-huh. with checks coming in. So nice. uh, people have been waiting. Uh, maybe maybe I've been wrong in thinking that people have not wanted to be distracted uh, by things like uh, organ campaigns. Um, and then a second miracle occurred, and I'll call them miracles. Uh, I did a catechesis of the Good Shepherd training with my wife, and we need about $5,000 to purchase all the materials and and get the things set up so that we can start an advent. Well, I really didn't want to start an organ campaign fund and a catechesis campaign fund and the pledge season all simultaneously. Well, I asked around among clergy in the diocese, does anybody have the materials? You know, here or there, if you got a spare set of something. And a priest wrote saying, the woman who ran her program is going off to seminary, and we will give you everything we have. So now I've got to $5,000 plus worth of educational materials <clears throat> and items. All answered prayer. Yeah. I mean, God is just working. If God wants to kill off the Episcopal Church, he's, it, it's a great job elsewhere, but in Central Florida, He's having a hard time killing it because it keeps growing and prospering. <laughs> no, and I think that's what we're seeing with COVID is the churches that were strong and healthy going into COVID uh, have really come out the other end pretty good. Uh, our church is a great example. Uh, the budget's good. Uh, we don't have any shortfall in income. Uh, we run a live stream. In fact, now uh, our pastor says, hey, I want a Spanish edition of our live stream to reach more people. And now we have a Spanish stream do, uh, that's sim- simulcast at the same time as our English stream. Okay. And he's got the money to do it. And it's a, a new program offered by uh, Church of the Apostles in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It, it's it, COVID has drawn out the strong churches. And like wheat and chaff, the the, the smaller churches aren't surviving, in, in my opinion. And... And you know, maybe COVID has caused me to re COVID has caused so many changes, but one of the things is to dive deeper into the people we have. I don't know if that makes no, it does, clear, yeah. but I mean, maybe I've got 600 people on the books and in the season, that means 275, 300 on a Sunday. Uh, right now it's 150 with COVID and everything. But uh, I've been needing people to help with audiovisual and of course you've got the odd teenager who's an odd teenager yes. and <laughs> walks around with a satchel always has satchel. the right cord <laughs> and well i've been and i you know i wrote to everybody uh, in the start of the fall saying you know do you have a skill is there something here's what we need at the church and there's one guy who's a christmas and easter guy he's a nice guy but you know he is what he is turns out that he's a professional cinematographer. He was a cameraman on Star Wars, on Fast and Furious. And he came in and he said, I'd love to set up your audiovisual so that you have a perfect thing, because that's really something I love and enjoy. Hmm. And, so, and so now my audiovisual tech is not a pimply geek. 
I love pimply geeks. They may they come to church every Sunday. But here's a guy in his 60s who spent his life in Hollywood who's moved to uh, Hooterville, Florida. Lacanto, <laughs> where the force is with him. That's kind of cool. I mean, what... <laughs> yeah. What is God planning that we have a real cinematographer? Maybe the sermons will start out with this scroll of far ago and long <laughs> away. I, I don't want to hum the tune. I don't want a copyright violation, but that's really awesome. So uh, you'll be up and Adam with the audiovisual, thanks to uh, a history of Star Wars. I mean, if Steven Spielberg well, came up for the, for the church one day, that would be a little cooler. <laughs> Well, he did give us a list of recommended equipment, and it costed out to about seventy-five thousand. Yeah, it's uh, new. And uh, I said, "Well, if you could cut that down to like five percent of that, you know, we could run about three or four thousand. And he well, did, and it's all—it's all used equipment that he's gotten from buddies. Good, stuff. Good. And it's the, not the fastest, latest stuff, but there's no light item for industrial light and magic you know to have uh, cgi effects when george walks in okay cool uh, all right so let's go to our and we've been doing this five weeks in a row it's working it gets harder some weeks to find a good story but we have another good story uh another diocese in angola george yes a fourth diocese has been inaugurated in angola the name in english is the diocese of central and southern uh, Angola, it's based in Lubongo, which is in the uh, southwestern side of the diocese. And this is just an extraordinary, it's the same exact uh, comments I would have over the last three new dioceses we've announced. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you cannot turn, you cannot cage the Holy Spirit. You cannot put it into an institutional box. Uh, you know, the smart people would say, ha, church building suburban gated communities that's yep. where you got to go Absolutely. put your money here mm -hmm. don't put it in the war-torn southern part of uganda where swapo and uh the south african army uh were engaged with uh, each other for 20 plus years in guerrilla warfare don't you know this was a scene of open war between south africa and uh the angolans and the cubans and the uh, south african southwest african or namibian uh, rebels is now an Anglican diocese there uh god be praised yeah, absolutely it's, I, I mean this was former communist country where the church is growing hmm. normally we follow that up with a church of england story we don't really have one this week do we uh no i mean uh Wait, okay. What more can one say? <laughs> I know. It's the middle of August. And in Christian journalism, the middle of August is the dry spell. This is where we go into our drought and we start getting garden stories. Oh, we have a new garden that's being planted in our diocesan uh, uh, house. Would you like to cover that? And so it's hard to look for stories. And that's why we're stuck with international stories like Afghanistan. Uh, well, kind we of the, have a yeah? semi, we have a semi Church of England story. Okay, you throw it up there. What, what do you got? Okay, well, this is more along the People magazine line than Anglican unscripted line. But the second child, the little girl of Archie, Prince, uh, Prince uh, Harry and Meghan, is not going to be baptized in the Church of England. They're going to do it in America in an Episcopal church in Los Angeles. It will <clears throat> Michael Curry fly out for that, do you think? Or? Well, here's the thing. They're be uh, I don't think they're particularly religious, but the child has to be within the communion of the Church of England if it wants to be within the line of succession. Mm -hmm. And that if they're baptizing it in the Episcopal church, then they preserve that. So, All Saints, Pasadena, Christchurch, Beverly Hills, wherever these people are living right now, uh, they're going to have a little media event. Uh, but probably, the, probably they'll want to keep it private. But uh, the paparazzi are going to have a field uh, no. day in Southern California. Meghan Markle does not want to keep it private. So let's, uh, yeah, well, let's be honest well, about that. Well, let let me be fair. Let okay. me be fair. That's what they're saying today. Okay. They may just be levering, leveraging this to get the uh, royal family to uh, cough up some money or cough up something so that they'll keep it in-house over in, uh, w at uh, St. George's Chapel in Windsor. Uh, 
where they were well, married. I, this raises the question, after what happened at the marriage, will there be a practice baptism? I, I don't know. I, you know I'm just, yeah. uh, will Will Michael Curry uh, lift this up as being an example of uh, true love? I true love, true love. Uh, yeah, so good. We had our Church of England story. Uh, as strange as this. Okay, George. Um, obviously, the biggest story this week is not Cuba. Three weeks ago, it's not Haiti. Last week, it's Afghanistan. This week, and we're seeing the continued strife of a country that's. Uh, been run to ruins by uh, militant Islam for uh, centuries. Uh, the tribalism in the country uh, cannot be overcome by the brutal force of the Soviet Union. It cannot be overcome by the kind force of uh, America and our uh, allies. It's just a country where, um, because of its terrain, its tribalism, and its people, and its horrible neighbors, uh, surrounding countries, just lives in this devastation, George. Michael Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. released a prayer for Afghanistan on the occasion of the fall of Kabul yesterday. And I have to say, this is the first thing we've ever published on Anglican Inc. that has received universal praise from the Episcopal readers as well as the ACNA readers. Mm -hmm. There's nobody who's come out and made fun or said what a hypocrite, the usual stuff that we see when people on different denominations take a swipe at their leader. And that's reflected in, I think, the American body politic. Conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, everybody sees this, except for President Biden, perhaps, as a national shame and tragedy. And uh, I, I would say international. This is a this is beyond our comprehension of we can't fix this. Why yeah, can't I mean, we, after decades and decades, convince uh, the populace of Afghanistan to fight for themselves? Well, Kevin, you and I are. Well, I don't want to out us, if you will, <laughs> but. Neither of us were really that keen to be there in the first place. No, I uh, opposed because it. That, because, you know, there was a strain of what they would call neoconservatism under mm -hmm. George Bush that we can remake Afghanistan into our own image and turn it into a little New England uh, town hall democracy. And both you and I have all long been in the opinion, you know, culture counts, religion counts. And you're not going to change the Afghanis in one generation. Well, uh, I think there was always the hope. In the 1970s, early 1970s, Afghanistan, Cabal, were very westernized. And I think yeah. there was the, the hope of George Bush that, hey, we can return it to them. They were there once. We can take and get rid of all the bad people, and they will love their country so much again that they will return to the Western thought and theology where they can wear skirts and walk around in jeans and not have to wear uh, scarves. We can do that for Afghanistan. And guess what? We can't. Well, we could do that for the 1% who live in Kabul who have mm -hmm. education. But yeah. for the 99%, and I'm using exaggerated numbers for the 99 percent in the villages who can't read or write the women who have eight and ten children uh, who as you say live in a patriarchal tribal society uh this was offensive and you know i don't want to dissect all the failures but you know in the last few years you know the united states spent millions of dollars setting up a gender studies department at the university of kabul uh, the, the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan was promoting Pride Month, Gay Pride Month, in July. Mm -hmm. And what sort of cultural sensitivity, I mean, cluelessness, is being exhibited here? And so, I don't, I don't want. I'm not a military. I'm not a military strategist. Mm -hmm. But for these people who almost seem to be military tourists, these neoconservative uh, activists in both the Republican and Democratic Party, not the military. The military had to carry out these people's orders. 
just wanting to use the army at the drop of a hat to be social workers and, and implement change um, by at the point of a gun, our guns, um, it was just such a terrible mistake. Well, and now we're see and what and what Michael Curry is going, and now we're going to see martyrdom of the country's few Christian converts. We're going to see women uh, sold off, uh, put placed into forced marriages, back under the chador, the burqa, uh, covered from head to toe. Uh, no, women and children have just become property again. I mean, that part of the, the Sharia mindset. But since 1776, America has always pondered and wondered how far should we get involved in foreign wars, you know, in foreign policy, and what influence. Should, you know, George and I have U.S. Constitution privilege. Okay, we are privileged to be under the Constitution, which our army and leaders, uh, for the most try, part, try to protect. And so we know what the value of liberty is and the value of freedom is. And I do wish that value upon all the nations around the world. And for, for our so, and this is why there's always that discussion at the leadership level. Well, do we get involved in this? What, are we going to send troops over here? What are we going to do? And do we form a coalition? And because we know the value of freedom. That's why we have these discussions, George. For our foreign viewers, and for those educated in America's school system, uh, there have always there have been there are two worldviews of foreign policy. I'm sure there are many, many more, but two yeah. dominant ones. One is the Wilsonian worldview, that, you know, named for Woodrow Wilson, mm -hmm. president uh, at the end of the First World War, where we are engaged in moral crusades and we're going to fight for ideals and. Uh, commit our troops for those purposes. Then there's the Jacksonian, Andrew Jackson worldview, which is let's keep as far away from foreign entanglements as we can because human nature in the end of the day is corrupt. Both of these have religious motives coming out of American Protestantism. Uh, and I think I'll say for myself and I think Kevin you would say so too, we're on the more of the Jackson side that Human nature is corrupt, and trying to perfect the Afghan people is a fool's errand. Helping them individually, helping them, you know, discreetly—that's one thing. Having, you know, in this, the American for for our foreign viewers, the American body politic is so on the same side on this issue at, against the president and the administration. You even had Leon Panetta former head of the CIA under Barack Obama, former defense secretary under Barack Obama, saying this is the worst foreign policy failure since the Bay of Pigs and John F. Kennedy. It's that bad. Yeah. And it's being shoved off on uh, the Afghan army, on this, on Donald Trump. Yeah, 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 you can think of every excuse you want. But at the end of the day, it didn't have to end this way. Nobody has clean hands in this. Everybody has bloody hands. Every leader does. I mean, Obama had made a deal to release the current head of the Taliban back in 2014. I mean, the guy sitting in the castle in Cabal uh, was released from Guantanamo Bay by uh, President Obama. His hands are in this, too. You know, there's nobody here who who can say with a clear conscience, I you know I, I got nothing to do with this. You know, you do. Uh, and the part of the thing is kind of the American pride that we can overcome this tribalism. We can overcome what happens uh, in the Middle East and, and and in these countries where no, you know, for centuries, if not more, this mindset uh, has taken place, and they look at the West and the freedom that we have here is something not to be desired. They, they find well, they it do to say so. Actually, Kevin, the mm. Taliban is in favor of the mask mandates. Yes. Uh, <laughs> except just for women uh, coming out of the White House. So, you know, this is indeed something we need to put into prayer. Uh, and uh, there's going we're, to be martyrdom here. Uh, there are many ministries and house churches underground uh, if you t if you go to uh, Google and type churches in Cabal or churches in Afghanistan, nothing comes up. A couple ministries will come up, 
uh, and some uh, international uh, UNICEF, but there, every Christian in Afghanistan is underground. Please stay there. You know. Yeah, the, the only official Christian presence yeah. has been a Catholic church on the grounds of the Italian embassy. Right. And there's some nuns there who run a hospital of some sort. Everything else, and when up until Friday, uh, there was an Episcopal and an ACNA presence in Kabul with chaplains in the yeah. military chaplaincies. So that uh, if you want the archbishop responsible for Afghanistan is either uh, <laughs> Foley Beach, <laughs> Foley Beach, or, or Michael Curry, um, yeah. because it's impossible for an indigenous Christian church to open free, uh, operate freely because they, they would be killed because they would be considered uh, apostates for Islam. Now, over 20 years of Western presence uh, with missionaries from South Korea, the United States, people with double jobs as NGO workers or contract employees also meeting and proselytizing, there been an, a movement into Christianity. One of the movements that is one of the most fertile pieces has been among the Shia minority uh, in Afghanistan. It's major the Taliban are Sunni and they hate the Shia just as much as they hate Christians. Mm -hmm. And the Shia have been many of, I don't want to say many because I don't know the numbers, but it is reported to us that Shia have been particularly welcoming of the Christian worldview, people coming to Christ through dreams, seeking out uh, Americans and asking about Christianity because of a dream they've had. Those people uh, are on death lists, we're told, by uh, foreign missionaries who are still in Kabul right now. And there was like one, I saw one tweet, and again, friends, I cannot verify this, a, a SEAL I think it was a SEAL or a Special Forces operator, had a group photo with himself, another American, and a team of Afghan uh, Special Forces who all lived, they were lived in Kandahar. Well, he tweeted that uh, here we are with our team in February. I just learned that every one of my, every one of my colleagues was pulled from his house in Kandahar and shot in the street for having served in the Afghan army against the Taliban. And people wonder why the army fell so fast, uh, the Afghan army. It's because the you flee and live, you stay, fight, and die because the Taliban have a no capture policy. You know, you are you are worth a bullet. You're not worth handcuffs. And well, the and the other reason I think that. Uh, well, we're, we're hearing reports of units and isolated places, people fighting to death for that exact reason, mm -hmm. or people just taken off when the first shot is fired. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that people have, who, Americans who have not been following this closely, who or who are not involved in, interested in military affairs, there's not been an American combat casualty for 18 months. And in December, when uh, Donald Trump left office, there were 2,500 American troops in Afghanistan. We and since 2014, we've not had more than that. 2,500. Yeah, that's all. Okay. And in 2014, we withdrew combat operations on the ground. Right. And it, and since 2014, 50,000 Afghan soldiers in the Afghan army have died. Mm -hmm. What? How the operations have been fought? Because every year there's a Taliban offensive. Is the army engages on the ground and the U.S. Air Force pounds them from above. And what we have provided is air support and intelligence support and the occasional special forces operations. And the, the thing was, if, if that had been kept in place, the Taliban would never have been able to be victorious. Uh, but oh. once the Afghan army realized they have no air cover and they have no intelligence, the Americans have pulled out. This is what we did to the South Vietnamese in 1975. We told them one day, because the South Vietnamese, they had an air force, but basically the air, air power in South Vietnam was American. Mm -hmm. And the North Vietnamese couldn't do a thing about it, and it was a stalemate. But then the Democratic-led Senate, including Joe Biden, 
voted to cut off all funding for operations in South Vietnam. And when the air cover was pulled, the North Vietnamese could roll in because our military strategy is based on the coordination of arms, ground forces and air power. That's how we trained the Afghan army. And all of a sudden, we're, you know, the Afghan army who's trained to call in for air support when they're in a particularly tight spot, Nothing that's right. not there anymore. No. Of course they're going to melt away. Now, here's Kevin's military strategy. Going to help you out here uh, for those high-ranking officials who watch Anglican Unscripted. Right now, all the Taliban leaders are in a certain palace in Kabul. We have drones throughout the region. You put a little missile. I go to don't you don't want you, a little follow up. You put the drone in the air. You wait for a press conference outside the palace with the new leaders of the Taliban. You flick your little uh, control switch and you hit the red button that says launch. Boom! You've set the Taliban back six months. That's just Kevin's strategy. Uh, you know where the you know where the enemy is, but we we no longer consider them the enemy. There has been discussions that we could offer the Taliban foreign aid if they would stop killing the Afghan army. Good job, guys. How would we know if they're killing them or not? Because we're not there. <laughs> but like... the, the international repercussions, you can hear the grand strategic stuff on TV, but I'll talk about the little stuff mm -hmm. that I'm aware of through our networks. In Nigeria, the Muslim Council of Northern Nigeria, there's a bishop, a Catholic bishop, Bishop uh, Suko, Soko, whatever, who has, who's a media personality, and he has written to the U.S. Congress about religious rights violations by Muslims, again, you know, the Fulani and the Boko Haram, to U.S. Congress, asking, you know, live up to your stated purposes to help foster religious freedom. And the Muslim Council of Northern Nigeria has uh, published an open letter to the Catholic bishop, the Bishop of Sokoto, saying, uh, see how good, see what American promises are worth. And, you know, you can't trust the Americans. And basically, it's a nice way of saying, we're going to have you killed if you keep talking. Yep. So we're going to see, and this is going to embolden Boko Haram. It's going to embolden the ISIS forces in Mozambique, uh, in the Congo, um, in Pakistan and in Sudan, um, who are at war with Christians for being Christians. This is a propaganda victory of immense value that will lead to Christians on ground in Africa and in Asia being killed. Um, now, so am I saying Joe Biden's at fault? No, I'm not, but he didn't kill anybody. But I think this could have been done so much more professionally. Well, as you know, this Afghan foreign policy debacle, there, there's one country watching right now looking to their good friend, the U.S., and that's Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is saying, we're screwed. You know, if they aren't going to stay and fight for Afghanistan, if, you know, some of the, the mysterious stuff they've done in the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years in the Middle East, how can we know that uh, uh, the U.S., NATO, or anybody's going to be there for us when China uh, comes to our shores uh, of Hong Kong? So that just one of those things, George, uh, this whole thing is not just Afghanistan. It's foreign policy worldwide. Uh, strange story. And you were telling me this in the pre-show. A family from Sweden decided a couple weeks ago, this is a great opportunity to move to Afghanistan. I think we should tell our viewers a little about this. Have you ever heard of the Darwin Awards, Kevin? Yes, for like, like the stupidest thing? We used to give those out. <laughs> well, I, I would nominate in the Darwin Awards... Uh, this Swedish family, a family of uh, five, husband and wife and three children. Sweden hasn't had a diplomatic presence in Afghanistan for a while or so. 2004. Years. And yeah, in 2004, they said, Swedes, do not go to Afghanistan. We can't do anything there. We can't help you. So this family from Sweden decides to tour Afghanistan and they arrive in July. 
of 2021, and they wanted to fly out on August 8th. They didn't have the return tickets confirmed. And, you know, stuff started to happen at the uh, first week of August. And so now this woman is uh, on social media demanding Sweden send in a military aircraft to pick them up uh, from uh, Hamad Garzai International Airport uh, because uh, their flight plans were canceled and the airline canceled their flights and everything. Friends, if, if you were thinking about vacationing in uh, Kabul, not this year. Wait, wait, wait. How can you be so stupid, Kevin? I mean, just seriously, how can you be so stupid? Oh no, Jay, if you look at the history of some of my stupider things back when we were twenties, this would, this would be in the list. You know. Yeah, but you're well, right. I mean, maybe so. I mean, international. When my daughter was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, when my daughter was in college at Emory in Atlanta, she and her mm -hmm. friends would come down to St. Augustine for hurricane parties. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a hurricane approaching the Florida coast. Oh, let's go see it. It'll be fun, exciting. And you know, so they were the only ones coming this way, while the highway to Atlanta and out of Florida is packed. They want to uh, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't be too hard on the Swedes, uh, but the Swedish I don't know. Are, man, oh man. Yeah. Okay. So probably got good cheap hotel rates. <laughs> probably got good hotel rates. Yeah. You know, probably. Yeah. The only flight over. They probably had their first cheap, class cheap you know, flight going in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Afghan Airways, I'm sure, had cheap uh, one-way tickets to Kabul. I mean. Uh, okay. Um, let's move on to our last news story of the day. Uh, we talked earlier about a lot of churches had success in COVID. They're, they're financially strong, they're uh, maintained uh, or are returning to a healthy population of church, their ministries are going strong, and they're returning to post-COVID normal. And we want to talk a little bit about uh, CAP is in the news and GAFCA is going to be in the news uh, about those who are struggling now, either because of COVID or poor management or um, just a culture of what do we do now-ism. And let's talk a little bit about GAFCA because they issued their uh, financial numbers in July. And it's time to read through those, George. <laughs> July 22nd, GAFCON submitted its uh, fiscal 2020 financial statements to the Charity Commission in the UK. Mm -hmm. And they were published July 22nd. No, no did I? Well, they were published by, the, by the, the Charity Commission on July 22nd, and they were as of September 30th, 2020. GAFCON is ha its budget has gone from a good-sized American diocese to a good-sized American parish. Uh, my parochial budget is about the size of GAFCON's right now. Yeah. Uh, fundraising has just... They've spent £75,000 fundraising, and their fundraising appeals have just died. They list three sources of income. They list it from organizations, they list it from grants, and list it from individuals. And I assume the fundraising, the money that they're spending is to get money from individuals. I think they've, I think they're underwater with that. I would say that would be in the, the red, for sure. Um, and I remember when we were forming Anglican TV years ago, uh, we were contacted by these third parties. Hey, we will be your fundraising arm. Uh, you tell us how much money you want and we'll tell you how much that's gonna cost. Well, if I wanted if I wanted to, to raise a hundred thousand, that's sixty thousand. What? You're gonna charge me sixty thousand dollars to raise a hundred thousand dollars? That doesn't. No, my board of directors will never approve that. What are you talking about? I mean, if you were to charge me ten bucks, I could maybe talk them into getting the hundred thousand. So, I I don't really believe in paying a third party for fundraising, George. That's that's really strange to me, and especially now that you're in the you're collecting in the red from what we can see on paper. You may want to correct us elsewise. I, I think there's a conceptual problem. The founding documents, the mission, the purpose, the spirit of GAFCON is alive, it's well, it's strong. Mm -hmm. The Jerusalem Declaration has stood the test of time. Its short-term, its strategic vision is working. Its tactical, meaning short, 
short-term work is pretty bad. Um, the co- the, the cornerstone. Of what, well, what I'm thinking. Well, well you, you, let's reanalyze. The cornerstone of of Gafcon is solid. The structure they yes. put together, the doctrine they put together, um, the first three conferences are a solid uh, start for a maturing ministry. However, George. The ongoing operations leave much to be desired. I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking about. CAPA, uh, Council of Anglican Provinces of Africa, uh, met this past week at uh, All, Soul, All Saints, All Souls Cathedral in Cairo. Mm-hmm. Archbishop Sammy Faza was the Faza. Uh, Faza? Faza? Don't it's all right. Sorry. No, it's Tuesday. It's was Tuesday. the host, and Archbishop Near Nice was one of the primary speakers. And you looked at the conference agenda, and it was what Kevin and I joke is most of it was the mosquito net stuff, you know, uh, social advocacy, how to be do this, how to do that. Simultaneously, they were running a new bishops training program at the uh, cathedral for new African bishops. Uh, the one item that I caught my eye that I thought was a really good idea was how do we how do we ensure smooth transitions between bishops? Africa has a problem of leaders not wanting to leave yeah. until the troops are at the door about to shoot you. Yeah. And some bishops have incorporated that mindset into their work, so they are addressing some important issues. Uh, same, same time, we have Trinity Wall Street and the Anglican Church of Canada. Hold, hold, uh, holding these listening groups where they bring African bishops together with Canadian and American bishops, uh, flying them first class uh, to uh, UK and other venues, uh, whining and dining them and talking about uh, you know, relative truth. Well, what may be true for you in uh, Tanzania isn't true for us in Toronto. You know, God's speaking in a different voice in two different places. And we have the money to back that statement up. Yeah. And then GAFCON offers its bishops training programs um, independent of their primates meetings. So if you're, uh, you're, let's take a periphery. If you're from West Africa, if you're from Central Africa, if you're from Tanzania, if you're from the Sudan, South Sudan, um, so on and so forth, Malawi, Rwanda, not Rwanda, but places sure. like that. Um, and you've got a choice of these conferences that essentially are doing the same agenda. Uh, why would you go to GAFCON? I mean, because you're not going to get the world-class dining that you get when the Trinity Wall Street pays for it. You're not going to have the African solidarity boost that you go do for Kappa. Because, uh, uh, in other words, what is GAFCON offering in the short term, that is not already being offered by Lambeth Palace, by Trinity Wall Street, by Kappa, by the mission societies. Now, there are some, the Ugandans will basically always be faithful, the Nigerians will be Nigerians. Um, but Gafcon's lost, as George Bush had the phrase, the big mo, momentum. It had, GAFCON had momentum. Its structures were set up almost to be a parallel Anglican communion office. And with no money flowing into its coffers, it's impossible to do that. Money is, uh, you know, I don't want them to fly bishops around first class. Of course, that's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about, you know, fulfilling the missions you talked about uh, from uh, the last two GAFCON meetings. Uh, there's a women's initiative that was supposed to happen under uh, Gloria Kwashi, was it? Yeah, with Gloria Kwashi. That I, I've seen nothing come out of that. You know, I've seen these programs. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And I wait to to make the announcement to my audience that this is what Gafcon's doing, and I'm not getting a a, a lot of you know news to report. And now I, I look at your financials and I see, ouch. And I don't think you can just blame Gafcon for or Gafcon. I don't think you can just blame COVID for this, George. I think this is a, a bigger structural problem than COVID. Yeah, picking apart the financials, and we'll have a detailed article when I get when I have time. time. I'm sorry to say, yeah. 
on the on these statements, but they mention they have a, a subscription a subscriber list uh, of emails that they send out their uh, sort of good words to. I was really appalled by how small that subscriber list is. I mean, it's a thirty forty percent of our subscriber list now. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the Anglican Communion Network, the forerunner to the A, ACNA, was forming. They had a subscriber list of 15,000. Yes, absolutely. And communications are everything in this modern age. And building the the brand, building the market, keeping the troops riled up, keeping the focus where you Mm -hmm. want it to be. And they've not succeeded in reaching out to the second, third, fourth, fifth tier and lay people of the Anglican world. They may do a great job with the primates, but a primate is not. But an African primate is not going to move unless his bishops are with them. Um, and they've not done the work necessary, I believe, to ensure the structural stability and the ability to push back against Lambeth Palace and the Anglican Communion Office, and so on and so forth. And we've discussed this before. One of the biggest problems structurally, structurally of GAFCON is it's not into the bylaws of the provinces that support it. You know, we don't have the Congo right into their constitution. We are a, a member and supporting member of GAFCON. It's more, that's more done at the primate level. And so that's always been a structural issue within GAFCON is the support changes from primate to primate to primate. And that will be always be a difficulty of GAFCON until they can get to the point where they can convince provinces we need to, to be uh, equal partners and we need to be part of your bylaws and constitution. We need to have that level of uh, partnership. And that's, that's a difficulty. And it could be as simple as affirming the Jerusalem Declaration. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't have to say that we're forever tied to the at, at GAFCON secretariat, wherever that may be. Um, one of the things I'm picking up, and this is my impression, so I'm not reporting this, I'm reporting as fact, I'm reporting it as news, is that Sydney has bailed out uh, the active leadership of GAFCON when Peter Jensen stepped aside, but it's still calling the shots. I've heard that and too. Ben Kwashi's in Nigeria, the new secretary. Mm -hmm. The administrative offices are in uh, southern England, but the power behind the throne still lies in Sydney. But the Sydney archbishops, you know, Glenn Davies, uh, uh, really that was not his thing. Uh, Kanishka Raphael, the new archbishop, I don't know where he stands on these things in detail. Uh, He's very, very new. So there's and the chairman is uh, in uh, suburban Atlanta, Foley Beach. So that well, in, communications but, are imperative. Imperative, but I don't think this is Foley Beach's problem I don't, or fault. I don't think this is any primate's fault. I think this is an operations level fault. You know, you know operations is you get the assignment, you fulfill the assignment. And one of the things that struck me in particular uh, and I, I don't know how to uh, process this. Gafcon one in Jerusalem gave birth essentially to the ACNA. Mm-hmm. It blessed it, its focus. And the ACNA is what it is today, a very successful province of the Anglican Communion, mm-hmm. though not recognized as such by the Anglican Consultative Council. Who? <laughs> the, the, uh, in looking up the Gafcon, uh, finances, uh, I came across GAFCON UK first, and its budget was £12,000. I paid and, more for my car than that. And where I'm coming with this is that with £12,000, you're not going to convert England. No. Um, I, I don't know how to say more than that. I just was well, so disappointed. Well, we'll that put it in hasn't con- moved the way it should. Let's put this in context. The early success of GAFCON 
was having a Catherine Jefford Shorey. You know, the, we're, we're planning for something new in North America. We're going to form the Anglican Church in North America. And wow, we have something that we can point to uh, the world and say, we don't want to be that. They don't have uh, that type of thing with Justin Welby. Justin Welby is a political church squish. He's not, you know, t- taking out and deposing people left and right. There's no 770 people that can say, I was deposed by Justin Welby. And without that, 12,000 pounds is not going to take down the Church of England, George. And in addition to having a just Catherine Jefford Shorey, you had a Peter Akinola. I, yeah. I just happened to have this in my bag. I got, let's see, got, well, oh, who blinks I first? got this book in the mail, <laughs> Peter Akinola, Who Blinks First. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a fairly long book. I haven't even cracked it yet, open yet. And Peter Akinola was quite the fellow. I mean, uh, he really uh, was a uh, first-class strategist, mm-hmm. uh, polemicist. Uh, he did a great job doing in the start. And I don't mean to compare apples to oranges, but there isn't a Peter Akinola from Africa right now uh, leading the charge that people in the West can get behind who might give money well in my mind's eye i think africa largely didn't want to be in the leadership role of of gafcon and kind of passed it on to foley and passed it on to north america because we have so many bigger things to fight in the bush in in our provinces in, in dealing with militant islam and dealing with the the finances of our countries and dealing with the, the poor leadership in our countries, we don't have time to continue GAFCON because we think GAFCON's in good hands over here with, uh, you know, Sydney, England, and um, Atlanta. I think they just kind of wash their hands of it. I wonder if GAFCON had a problem I had of, I was afraid to ask for money for an organ in COVID. And as soon as I laid out the need for it and got people excited, half the money showed up within the week. Maybe there's a fear of stating to the world, folks, the coffers, the, the cupboard is bare. We need your help to accomplish these things, which we all agree need to be done. But unless you step up, we can't do it. Um, perhaps it's time that they really need to push and let the world know what their needs are, not just assume that somebody else is going to take care of it for you. And GAFCON's going to promise not to spend money uh, on a third-party fundraising. I don't, I don't know how to work this out. But here, George, right now you and I are the fundraising arm of GAFCON. Uh, for our viewers out there, and there's thousands of you out there, many of you are of wealthy means because you help support Anglican TV, and I know that. Um, right here is the GAFCON website. Right here... In the lower part of the lower thirds of the, the thing, it says gafcon.org. Uh, go there. The first thing that pops up when you get to the website is donate. I think that's done by a third party. Uh, I don't know. But go in there and uh, uh, click the donate button and, and please give to Gafcon because we support fully the nature, cornerstone, and ministry of Gafcon. And we do want it to be a healthy, uh, system within uh, the U.S. They were there to fight for us 10 years ago, and we want them to be there to fight in 10, 20, 30 years from now. And you can help. See, let, let me just give you a scenario. In the, in the Episcopal Church in the United States, there are a good number of people who support the aims of GAFCON, mm-hmm. but there's no outreach there. There's yeah. no uh, sense that uh, uh, there's, a field, there's a field to be tapped. Um, and this has left the uh, playing field open to groups like the communion partners who really don't do that much Um, they certainly weren't there for Bill Love um, to run right and communion partners has no money uh, because there's nobody that's arisen in the Episcopal Church who can basically hold on to something like Gafcon and say folks I'm an Episcopalian and I am a traditional Anglican and here's the battle plan. On and upward and onward we go. 
um, that's a single scenario. I don't know how often that can be repeated in Canada yeah. and other places. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that would be unique. But that brings up another topic: uh, Albany. There's new fresh blood. I'm not gonna say fresh. If you're my age, you're not fresh. There's new blood in Albany, George. Yes, the assisting bishop has been appointed, Michael Smith. Mm-hmm. And Michael Smith, this is silly. And uh, for those who get worried about my language, I'm sorry. I hope this won't upset you either. Uh, if you if you're too sensitive, turn off viewing now. Come back in about a minute. Michael Smith, who is the former Bishop of North Dakota, uh, Assistant Bishop of Dallas, has been engaged to be the Assisting Bishop of Volbany. Mm -hmm. And and Michael Smith has reached the age in life, uh, flying off of uh, Kevin's New Blood comment. He now has a hairstyle where he brushes his hair straight up to hide his thinning scalp. And... In you can do that? Respects, I don't think you could do yeah. that. <laughs> he does. He uses hair gel and uh-huh. brushes it up. And it's. Uh, and in some ways, I think this is a symbolism mm-hmm. of the Episcopal Church. <laughs> of, uh, we're hiding our thinning scalp. And yeah. so, you know, good for Michael Smith to help the people in Albany. But Albany needs a champion right now who's willing to get into the ditch and fight hard. Yeah, I... And, and a caretaker, and this is not that person. He's not called to be that person. He's called yeah. to be the caretaker. Yeah, absolutely. But I pray that Albany has the right man, because it will be a, a man in Albany. Mm. Uh, I'd be surprised if they elected a woman who can pull them out of their nosedive. Mm. Indeed. All right, George, we have gone long today. 51 minutes. I feel so sorry for our audience who, you know, this is why we ask you so early on to like the show. Because by the time you get to fifty-one minutes, your 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 fingers are numb and you, you can't think straight. But we appreciate you watching Anglican Unscripted. I'm Kevin Coulson, and I'm George Conger, a non-compensated uh, spokesman for the Hair Club for Men. <laughs> and you have been watching episode six hundred and eighty-one of Anglican Unscripted. <laughs> <laughs>